0: Forever? Man. Well, I turned 33 this Tuesday. I mean, I, I still feel 40, but uh, I turned 33 this Tuesday. No, It's, it's really depressing after 25, right? Now you're just old. Now we just pity you. We're excited about 25, but when you turn, I'm hearing some 40s and some 60s over here. We're just glad you're around in the 60s here, Moises. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, but he is risen, right? So whether we leave at 33 or whether we leave in our 60s, the good news is we, we don't have to fear the grave, Right? I do think about it a little bit more, now that I'm 33. <laughs> I played basketball this, this week, lost to golf and David with, against David. I never lose to David, and I felt terrible about myself. I went and scheduled several golf lessons. <laughs> if I didn't say anything, he'd say, you only talk about when you beat me. I don't only talk about when I beat him, because if I did, that's all we'd ever talk about. But he did beat me so I want to give him his credit. Well, let's talk this morning about our vision, or sorry, our connect, and we're going to specifically look at the topic today of our core values. So I want to jump right into our definition of core values, but I want to explain before we do that exactly what we're doing here as a church. Maybe you're you're visiting with us. We want to again, explain what our process here is. This year, the theme of this year is church membership. And in particular, meaningful membership. That's why our verse this year emphasizes not forsaking, not forsaking the assembling together as is the habit of some. You can say today it is the habit of the majority since 82% Of this generation doesn't attend church but once a month 82% of people don't attend church so it's it's actually a little bit it's actually a little bit different than that 18% come to church once a month of this generation that means 82% don't that's a startling fact you know we found other things to answer life's problems and the church really doesn't have place in our lives today But we don't want that to be the case about our church, about this congregation. We want to be here together and to eagerly stir up love and good works amongst one another. Looking for various ways that we can edify our brothers and sisters and our leaders with how we serve one another. This is the most important week or day of the week for all of us. It is the day where we come together and proclaim He is risen. It is the day where we come together and learn from one another and share with one another and care for one another. There's nothing more important. Hopefully this carries on throughout the rest of the week. But we want to talk about how we as a church, can connect and put down deeper roots here at Northwest. It's a commitment-phobic decade. It is a commitment-phobic day where we are afraid to commit to anything. And we want to find churches that might be doing it a little bit better or a little bit different. And, And should we commit to a church, that means we can't leave, which is good. It's interesting to note that there is nothing like Paul ever telling churches to leave, or telling Christians to leave their churches in the New Testament. It's just not there. Look for it. Find it. Where Paul tells Christians to leave their churches. Even churches that were embracing grave sins. Serious sins that not even pagans would allow to happen in their midst. And so we want to encourage everyone to connect here. To build up the church to edify one another. Our topic this morning, then, is what is our church's core values? What are our core values? Well, let me define very briefly what core values are. Core values are the unchanging foundational beliefs of a church. They are the unchanging foundational beliefs of a church. Now, certainly, this does not exhaust all of our values. And does not exhaust all things that are important but we believe that these values do a nice job of giving us an umbrella as a church to give us direction in everything that we do core values establish the firm bedrock of our teaching of our living of our fellowshipping together and of our evangelizing the lost buildings may change Visions may change. Pastors and church members will come and go. But the core values must be the cornerstone of this church. They are what every other stone will align with. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, let us not just state these core values. Let us live by these core values. Let us see these core values as the essential part of our fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about five core values, and they are as listed. We are going to be a biblically-based church. A biblically-based church. A Christ-centered church. A church that is characterized by Christian community. A church that sees the importance of faithful fellowship or faithful service. And a church that evangelizes to the lost. I want to take a look at each one of these. And we're going to answer three questions. What does the Bible say about this? What do other Christian scholars say about this? And then what does it mean for us? Let's take a look at our first core value. Our first core value is biblically-based church or biblically-based congregation. We believe that the Bible is the final authority in everything we do. As such, the Bible is the focal point of our assembling together, either in our worship services or our small group Bible studies, that is our Bible fellowship Sunday schools, we believe that God inspired men to write his word so that when man speaks in the Bible, God speaks. Alright, so let, let's just make sure that we understand exactly what we're saying. We believe that 66 books are inspired, infallible, and inerrant for our church. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and Second Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. 39 Old Testament books that are inspired, infallible, and inerrant. You say... So you believe then that when Genesis says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and that he made Animals and man from the dust you really believe that we really believe it Okay You really believe there was an actual king named David? Yes You really believe that a man there was there was really a man named Saul? Yes You believe that the Bible is accurate in history? Yes in science? Yes And that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Acts, and Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Galatians, Ephesians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, all of those, Colossians, Philippians, all of them, all of the letters of John, Revelation, all of them inspired. And they are binding for us today. We believe that there is no book that is more relevant, nothing more relevant to this church and to each individual life than that dusty thing you keep in the corner of your house. Bible so biblically based let's look at what David says the very first psalm you know the psalm you probably could quote it the very first psalm of the book of Psalms 150 Psalms establishes the vision for the Psalms look at what it says blessed is the man this is just like blessed in the Beatitudes the same word Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the man who's blessed is the one who does not follow the world. He doesn't walk according to the counsel of the wicked. In other words, he doesn't live out his life the way that they do in pop culture. That's not the the man of God. The man who is blessed does not live the way the world lives. The blessed man, the the sanctification, the, the credence that God gives to our homes is when we live in our lives is when we live according to his word. You say, well, I have to do it this way. It's the only way to be done. Is it? Answer that question. Is it the only way to be done? Does God put you in a place where you cannot, where you must choose to disobey? You see, men went to their graves choosing to obey God rather than to obey the counsel of the wicked. Or who stands stands in the way of sinners. That is that they hold unswervingly to secular principles. Or the, the man who sits in the seat of scoffers. That means he judges righteousness from the seat of unrighteousness. David says that man is not blessed. The one who does the opposite of that. Who lives according to God. And this is not just, this is not some religions and, and Islam has a good way and, and Buddhism has a good way and Christianity has one of the ways and Judaism has one of the ways. It is the will of God, the law of God versus all others. All others. But the one who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law meditates day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. In the Bible, when it uses the word tree, it uses it as a metaphor to describe the usefulness of our faith. Agrarian society would have been very aware of the importance of a tree bearing fruit. When your life depends on a tree bearing fruit, if it does not bear fruit, you're going to cut that sucker down. You don't need it. You say, we don't even use trees to get our fruit. We just go down to public. So imagine it like this. If you go to a Publix that doesn't have groceries, what's the point? That's what essentially would be the the, the correspondence today. If you have a tree that doesn't bear fruit, there's no good. But the one who follows the law of God is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, that is the one who follows God, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, and the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. How does he know the way of the righteous? Because the way of the righteous bears fruit by being planted next to the waters which are the word of God. In other words, God knows what his word will produce. If you are living by the Word and not simply stating that you live by the Word, God will judge it by your fruit. You can't fake this. If you live by the Word, your life will yield fruit that corresponds to the Word. Paul says it like this in 2 Timothy. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is profitable for teaching. All Scripture is for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is what guides our lives and must guide our church. One of the most famous statements on the Bible called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy in 1978. Many scholars, Carl F.H. Henry, R.C. Sproul, Norman Geisler, James Boyce, many, many scholars and many, many more came together to defend the biblical inerrancy or the inerrancy of the Bible. And here's what they said in their preface. I love this the authority of scripture is a key issue for the christian church in this and in every age those who profess faith in jesus christ as lord and savior are called to show the reality of their discipleship by humbly and faithfully obeying god's written word in other words there is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't follow the word. That is becoming increasingly popular today. You know, it's not going to be the case that society becomes more and more godless. It's going to become false teacher inundated. They're going to take Jesus and conform God and Jesus to their image. The Bible says we conform to Jesus' image. And so we must state alongside every Christian everywhere that this is an essential matter. What does it mean for us then? It means for us that we as a church will make the Bible and not secular sociology and not secular psychology, self-actualization theory, be who you are, not politics, not the law, not secular biology and not secular ethics, we will make the Bible the foundation of everything we believe and know about our reality and our faith. It means that we will trust in, agree with, and live by every word of God in Scripture. Jesus said, Man will not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember the context in which he said that. He was doing battle with Satan. The Bible tells us that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and led out into the desert, and Satan began to tempt him. And every time, every time, Jesus wanted to defeat the temptations that Satan brought to him, He did not resort to secular psychology, but by every word that comes from God. Jesus had built his faith on the Bible. Every time he responds, he quotes Deuteronomy. Every single time. Fulfilling what David says in Psalm 1, that the righteous man delights in the law of the Lord, and on that he meditates day and night. It means for us that we need to check our fruit this morning as a church and as individuals. We need to look up in our trees of our spiritual works and see whether or not the fruit of our life, the patterns of our lives, the decisions of our lives, all of the fruit, if it's bearing fruit from water that comes from the word or from the sewage that comes from the world. You've got two options. And God will look at your fruit and say, is this a church? Are these individuals who are refreshed by the living water of the word or who are nourished and destroyed by the sewage of the world? We have to check ourselves today. We, as a church, are going to pledge ourselves to make the Bible the basis of all we believe we do our second core value is the lordship of Christ the Bible teaches us that genuine Christian faith is characterized by a life that is centered on obeying Christ and following his commands John 1 John 2 5 through 6 if you're a real Christian you look like act like talk like suffer like Jesus If you don't, what John makes very clear is you are not a Christian. That's what the word literally means. Christian literally means those who are little Christ. Listen to this passage in Colossians. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, watch how many times this phrase or this sequence or this idea is talked about it is the idea of being in him in him in him not in yourself not in the world in him so therefore as you receive christ jesus the lord you came down you filled out a card you prayed a prayer at a youth revival meeting okay you've got that so now walk in him rooted and built up in him and establish in the faith just as you were taught abounding in Thanksgiving see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him that means to be generously supplied by the spirit who is the head of all rule and authority in him having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them into shame by triumphing over them in him. What's the point? It means that your sanctification, your justification, your election, that God chose you, he chose you in Christ. That God has justified you. He's looked at your sinful life and said you are justified in Christ. If you're being sanctified, that means looking more and more like Christ and, and more holy. It is because and through and in him. And you will return and be raised from the dead in him. There is no such thing as a Christian that is not in him. the church we must confess that we will be in him theologians call this union with Christ Wayne Grudem says this union with Christ implies that we should imitate Christ our lives ought to so reflect what his life was like that we bring honor to him in everything we do what does this mean for us It means that Christ is the Lord and Savior of the church. He is the one whose image should be visibly imprinted on every one of us. Where our lives reflect him, we may have certainty that he is in us and that we are in him. Every part of our salvation is in Christ. That means then that the test of our purity as individuals and as a church is based on how closely we as a church resemble the image of christ you want to know whether or not we are being a successful church the question is does our church resemble jesus christ found within the pages of scripture that is the litmus test folks it's not how you dress it's not how often you're here it's how much our church looks and acts and does the things of Christ that we can say we are a pure church. So that means that when we love, if we're going to be like Christ, we most vividly portray Him when we love and obey God. Because that's what Jesus did, even unto a cross. In other words, that even when it hurts, and those times are vastly approaching... Look around you today at how quickly cultural Christianity has lost its foothold in this country. Christian, you are a dinosaur today. You are a fossil of social importance. This right here is the tomb, according to secularists. This is the tomb of religion, this church. You are going to be hated... And in the coming days, the real litmus test is going to be those who withstand the onslaught of persecution. Lord, give us the grace to do it. It means we love and obey his word. And it means that we love others. We don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. We live in humility and we count others more significant than ourselves. And we love and forgive the unlovely and the unforgivable. You want to be like Christ, obey God, and love others. We want to be Christian. a Christian community. Number three, Jesus said that our greatest witness to the world was that we are his, if, if we are his disciples, is how we love one another. All members of our community are expected to look for ways to motivate one another and to love and good works and inspire and spur on love and good works and to meet together weekly to worship God and to edify one another in Christian love. Now watch how nicely this flows, this idea of Christian community, from our last point, the point of Christ-centeredness. Listen to what Scripture says. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus in Christ, since we have this, by the new and living way that he opened for us through his body, which is the curtain, his body is the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, namely Jesus, since we are in Christ, says the writer of Hebrews, I said to Stephanie yesterday, I said, Stephanie, do you feel when you leave the church today, do you feel, do you feel and I, don't, I wonder how many of us feel this, that outside these walls of the Christian faith, outside of the walls of the church, do you feel like an outsider today? Do you feel that you're an outsider and that you hold an old view? Do you feel that you're hated? If you do, good. Because within here, in Christian community, it's here where we spur on the love of Jesus Christ theologians like Michael Horton say this the church is not simply another voluntary society like the Boy Scouts or the Sierra Club it is an embassy of Christ's kingdom and kings do not offer suggestions sell products or provide resources that people can either take or leave in other words there's no such thing as Christians who aren't involved and part of a local church 2 Corinthians 5:19 In Christ there it is again God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us we implore you there on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God Paul calls us all ambassadors all of us As ambassadors, as good ambassadors, live in an embassy. This is our embassy. What is an embassy? It's the place where, it's the office of the ambassador in a foreign land. This is our office, the church. Our body, our people. This is where we come together and we work together and work for one another and work and worship the God Almighty Jesus Christ. As God's embassy. But when we leave... And we go out into the foreign land and into the fields and into the highways and byways. What is our business? Being ambassadors for Christ. Saying, therefore, only what God would have us say and not what our own will would have us say. What does Romans 14, 7 through 8 say? For we do not belong to ourselves but we belong to God. Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God. Christian, you belong to God. But we also have to, core value number four, we also have to emphasize faithful service. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift to glorify God and to edify the church. Every believer is expected to share his or her gifts liberally with God's people. Ephesians four fifteen through 16 says this, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, which is now equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow and so it builds itself up in love. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift for ministry and to build up the church. These gifts include apostleship, which is no more, Prophecy, which is no more. Teachers, miracles, that's debatable. Kinds of healings, debatable. Helps, administration, tongues, debatable. Words of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, distinguishing between spirits, interpretation of tongues. You know, we all talk about those big, big gifts, right? But what about these? What about being an evangelist? What about serving? What about encouraging? What about contributing financially? What about leadership? What about mercy? What about marriage? What about celibacy? All of these are gifts given to the church. And so we pray for the big gifts. We pray to see the big ones happen. But Paul says eagerly pursue the greater and higher gifts. Faith, hope, and love. All of us. All of us have at the very least faith, hope, and love. And it is our job then to bring that in to the church and to constantly edify and build us up as we struggle to understand our existence this side of eternity, to do it together. We want to be a church that is faithful in service and gives of ourselves to others. Lastly, our last core value is to be evangelistically minded. Jesus' final command to his apostles was to go into the world and make people from every race, color, and creed his disciples. Northwest Baptist Church is therefore going to be a community of eternally minded people who recognize the urgency of salvation and who actively share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone they meet. Now think about this for just a second. That next door neighbor that you have, do you look at that person as someone who is either going to heaven or going to hell? As either a sheep or a goat Do you see the urgency of every mouth that comes from your word to carefully reflect the image of Christ so that your behavior does not become a stumbling block to their salvation? That every word you say you will be judged by? Every word, the thoughts and the words will be judged by God in what we do in this life. Every Christian has the responsibility to evangelize and to tell the good news about Jesus. I sometimes wonder if there's anything else worth talking about than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is there anything else worth talking about? Even in the Christian faith and in the church, is it not the very thing that gives us the reason to come and worship and glorify God that we've been saved by grace through faith? That we have hope that when our bodies die and rot in a casket, that God will return in the person of the Son to raise those dead bodies to life? Oh, praise God. What else is there to talk about? But it's understood that this is only the requirement of the pastors. But this is not true. This is the requirement of every single believer. Listen to what Jesus says. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. The housetops today, for us, Facebook pages, Twitter, conversations. Their social media in those days were housetops. For us, it's your Facebook page. Do you use that as a tool for the gospel? Hmm? And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. But Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of what people are going to say to you when you come and you tell them you believe Jesus. Because the worst they can do to you is take your body. The worst they can do to you is kill you. That's the worst. Jesus says, You're going to be eternally minded. Don't be afraid of the one who can destroy the body. Be afraid of the one who destroys the body and the soul. He says, Are you not two sparrows sold? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God knows whether you're evangelizing for him or not. Because he cares about small things like sparrows being sold. And if he cares about small insignificant things like sparrows being sold, won't he care for the greatest thing, which is the propagation of the gospel? If he cares about sparrows, he cares whether or not you remain silent about his gospel. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore... You are more value than many sparrows. So also everyone who acknowledges me, everyone, doesn't just say pastors, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That should chill us to our bones. That should cause fear in our bodies and a quaking spirit to say, do I acknowledge Jesus before men? How does my behavior acknowledge Jesus before men? Do I ever even speak that name to men? Do they hear me say, brother, friend, neighbor, If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. How can I share with you the most important thing in all of reality that Jesus died for you? This is an oil check for us. Are we evangelistically minded? So, what are we going to be as a church? We're going to be Bible based, we're going to be Christ centered. This is not going to be a community of just people, but a community of believers. We're going to have faithful stewardship, trustworthy and dependable stewardship. And we are going to tell others the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this great church that you've given us. We have a responsibility, Lord God, to build this church up into a pure, holy, and blameless church without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. God, purify us of any worldly wisdom. Purify us, purify all of us of any selfishness. Purify us of any worldly community or of any selfish service. And God, give us the words to tell others the good news about Jesus. Lord God, so that on that day, when we stand before you, each and every member of the Northwest Baptist Church, that all of us will be able to say we were good stewards of the gift you gave us. Thank you, Jesus. Empower us by your spirit for ministry. Amen.